So glad we were all worshiping together today. Uh, we're starting a new series this New Year's. And uh, to start off, I thought I'd ask you a few questions, just kind of some softball, easy, icebreaker type questions. So I got three questions for you uh, this morning to start us off. Um, and here's the first one. Uh, what is your life's mission? That does not sound like an easy softball icebreaker question, does it? No, I thought I'd go just to the, the hardcore, uh, what's life all about questions? Why not? Uh, so is there, are there values um, that you pursue with your life? Uh, what, what guides your actions and your agenda? Uh, you have a mission. You might not know what that mission is, but we all have this, this mission, this focus, and it's either um, in, intentionally in our minds or it's kind of in our subconscious thoughts, but we are pursuing something with the life. What's your life mission? Second question, what is God's mission? Um, what can we know about God's mission? Does God, God have a mission? Well, I think he does. And if you look through the scriptures, there's a story that is told about what God pursues in this world. Um, you can look at Jesus and see what Jesus pursued and talked about and did and get an idea of what is God's mission. And the third question is this. How much is your mission shaped by God's mission? Because as Christians, we're wanting there to be a, a union of these two things, your mission, God's mission. And hopefully, the way that we're approaching that is not thinking, well, God, uh, I sure hope that your mission will be the same thing as my mission, right? We want God's mission to inform, to shape our mission. That's what we're going to look at over the next month or so, um, God's mission shaping our mission, and we're going to start off at the very beginning of the Bible. And, and actually, truth be told, if I were to think through um, all of my first Sunday of the year sermons um, over the last decade, I, I would guess that 30, 40% of them probably is on Genesis chapter 1. That's what we're going to look at today. I just like preaching on Genesis 1 at the beginning of the year uh, for some reason. But I think there are so many great things for us to um, pick up on in Genesis chapter 1 about who God is, what God does, what we are to do. In fact, that is going to be our outline today, a real simple outline. Uh, who is God? What does God do? What do we do? Think about those things as we read Genesis 1. We're not going to read the whole story. Um, I'm going to read the first five verses, and then we'll jump to verse 26 and read the last five or six verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And now jumping down to verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that, was, that has fruit with seed in it, and they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So our simple outline, um, who God is, who God does, and what we do. Let's start with who God is. Now, there's lots that we can say about who God is from this scripture. We're going to look at one uh, thing. And look at verse 1. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you've done any uh, study on the beginning of the book of Genesis, you might know that that word for created is um, it's a very special and significant word. Um, it is the word bara. And the interesting thing about the word bara is um, it is only said about God. Only God does the, the action of bara, and it means create. Um, what is it about the creation that was done, or the creating that was done, in verse 1, uh, that, that is so significant that only God can do it? Because we're all creative, right? We can all create something. Um, we all have creative capacity, whether that be graphic arts or music arts or uh, creating a spreadsheet with organized detail. We're all creative food, um, another one. We're all creative in, in some way, right? But this kind of creating, only God can do. What is unique about it? Well, it's the kind of creating you can do when you take nothing and bring about something. And that's something that only God can do. Take a lot of nothing and bring about something. You're always taking something and bringing about something else. You're taking ingredients and you're bringing about a meal. You're taking paints and you're creating a, a painting. Um, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're taking car parts and you're creating a, a car. But only God can take nothing and bring about something. Um, and that's exactly what God did. 
He created all that there was out of nothing. Out of nothing. And that says something really important about God. Um, and here's, we're just going to start with this truth about God. We're going to build on it through the sermon. God is the central figure of all that there is, in, including your life. If you are the one who is able to take nothing and create something, that gives you special status. That makes you the central figure of all of creation, of all that there is. And if that's true, then God is the central figure in your life. He created you. You belong to him. What does that mean? It means you can't ignore God, right? You can try to ignore God, but if he's the central figure in all of created history in your life, you you can't ignore God. If God created the world, which he did, it means God created you. And uh, just as God created, as we saw in Genesis chapter 1, well, as you know, the storyline in Genesis chapter 1, this, this purposeful creation, we skipped all that stuff, but God creating things with purpose, and you can read it on your own, um, how one day kind of leads to the next day um, in, in, in um, the stuff that God creates being used for what comes next. God does that for your life. He has purpose for your life. You can't ignore God in your life. There's, there's no random uh, quality in, ac- in, in creation. There's no accidental quality in creation. And so uh, that is true in your life as well. Um, so that's all we're going to say about who God is. He's just the central figure of all human history, and you can't ignore him. Let's look at what God does. Several things we could pick out, but let's look at verse 2. What does God do? Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Um, Now, you might take formless and empty and think of... uh, Creation being like a a blank canvas on which God can create, and that is true to some degree. But um, there's another meaning as well uh, to formless and empty. The words formless and empty, um, they're too unique. I don't have them written on the screen. I, I should have done that for you. But they're the words tohu and bohu. They're just kind of cool-sounding words. And every once in a while, they'll occur together in the Scriptures, tohu and bohu. And when those two words occur together, they are used to mean chaos and desolation. And so when you think of the earth being formless and empty and God started creating, yeah, blank canvas, that can be part of the picture. But really, I think what is being said here is giving this 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 uh, image of there was chaos. Um, And what we need to know is that chaos, desolation, they are enemies to God's intent. And how do we know that chaos and desolation, which tohu and bohu are used to describe in the Bible, how can we know that they are enemies to God's intent. They're against what God is trying to do. 
How can we know because of the second part of this verse? The Spirit of, the God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was hovering above the waters. And hovering is just a beautiful word in the Scriptures. It's, it's used very, very rarely. And when it does occur elsewhere in the Scriptures, it refers to uh, like a mother bird hovering over her nest, protectively over her nest um, or over her chicks. It's a beautiful word. And what is the picture that that is giving of the Holy Spirit just hovering protectively over the creation, ready to defend it against things that are against God's intent, the desolation, the chaos. So what Genesis 1 shows is this. What does God do? God brings order and purpose to chaos. The Holy Spirit is... um, Hovering over creation, chaos is, is opposing God's creation, but the Holy Spirit is ready to act and bring order and purpose to the chaos. So that's one thing God does. He brings order and purpose to chaos. What's another thing? Let's look at verse uh, 3 and 4. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. And if you're familiar with Genesis chapter 1, again, you can read this again on your own, and you count the number of times that we see God saw that the light was good, saw that it was good, saw that it was good, saw that it was very good. It appears seven times. Seven, of course, is that number of completion um, that we find throughout the Bible. So what is it, what's the picture that, that, um, that, is, that is being painted this very, very, very good creation that God has made. So, a uh, second thing God does is God creates all things good. He creates all things good. At the end of chapter 1, verse 31, we read, God saw that it was very good. Uh, there is something unique about the creation that God sees and says, Ah, oh, this is very good. Very good. What is that? Um, we read this at the end, the last several verses of uh, chapter 1. Notice the food chain. What does God provide as food? Plants. Yeah, I heard that, plants. Uh, there's, no, there's no killing in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, there are no hamburgers in Genesis chapter 1. You, you may prefer that there are hamburgers, uh, but there's not. Uh, no animals are being put at risk by others. Uh, you could have a, a little wolf lying down by a lamb, and they would be playing together. Maybe they'd be eating a salad together. But they wouldn't be at odds with one another. So this is God's plan uh, for his creation, this harmony existing between all living sentient things, <laughs> all living things that, that can sense uh, animals. There's this harmony between God's created order. Uh, Dallas Willard, uh, pastor, theologian, philosopher that uh, died a few years ago, but she wrote some brilliant things. Um, Here's how he put it. 
He said, God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. That's what God was trying to do, what he was doing in Genesis chapter 1, making this created order of living beings, humans and animals, where there is this harmony, that it, this wonderful harmony that existed, and God is the, the most glorious inhabitant of all in this community. So God's at the absolute center of the story. He's the central figure. God opposes the chaos and the meaninglessness um, uh, and, 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 and so brought about this wonderful, harmonious order. He creates this world that's full of goodness where no living creature is at odds with another. Doesn't that sound beautiful? That sounds beautiful to me. So what happened? Because that's not quite what we see now, right? Um, so early in the Bible story, you know this, sin happened. And the remarkable thing about sin happening in the Bible is um, it was a very seemingly insignificant action that brought sin into the world. The very first people, Adam and Eve, what did they do to commit sin? They ate a piece of fruit. They ate a piece of fruit. The seemingly insignificant action. Now, what could go wrong just eating a piece of fruit? A whole lot. Because the action was much more than just eating the fruit. It was rebelling against the Creator, the Creator who gave this wonderful world, this harmonious order, uh, sinning against the the, the central figure of, of all of history. This rebellion, and because of that rebellion, the world has become this this broken clay, this broken place. As much as we love them, now there are hamburgers. Um, now creatures are at odds with one another. Now we have enemies. We have human enemies. Uh, now, if that lamb is walking along and a wolf comes by, that wolf is that lamb's enemy. That wolf will eat that lamb. In a word, um, injustice came into the world. Injustice. What is wrong entered the world. Now, the interesting thing, let's think about injustice. The interesting thing is that one of the common experiences of all human societies throughout history, no matter what culture you're born into, no matter what time you're born into, there is an understanding of right and wrong. Now, people may disagree on which actions are right and which actions are wrong, but there is an understanding that some things are right and some things are wrong. There is a desire for the writings of wrongs. In other words, for justice to be done. This is, this is a value throughout human history, every culture. And even though some people might disagree on the particulars about what is right and what is wrong, there are some commonalities that we see throughout history. A few common denominators of what life should be like, what is just, in other words, what is right, what should we have in place as human beings. So a few things um, that 
have been common desires throughout human history. One, um, some level of pleasure or satisfaction in life. Um, that's, uh, that's a good thing. Um, that's seen as a good thing. That there's some level of happiness. Of course, we'd have to describe what is, what is happiness, but some level of, of happiness. Um, people have said that that's just, that's right. Another thing, some level of safety or security is a good thing. Uh, that you don't have to always live in fear of harm happening to you. And a third thing, some level of influence that, that, that human beings have, some level of, of influence um, that they're able to contribute in a positive way, in a beneficial way um, to others around them. And the interesting thing is if we look at Genesis chapter 1, we see all of these things in here. We see God creating a beautiful world for his creatures to enjoy, to find some level of happiness or satisfaction or pleasure in it. God provides security and safety. Again, we didn't read all the, ch- the verses between uh, verse 5 and verse 26, but that's about God creating many things, but one thing, the, the plant life that was su- to sustain the world, the, the food supply. God was providing this level of safety and security for the human order and, and the animal order as well. And God gave people influence, and he said, take care of this place. So how did things go so wrong? Because... Uh, you know, it wasn't like Adam and Eve said, all right, let's do some evil around here, you know? Uh, how did things go so wrong when things were so right? C.S. Lewis writes, uh, over, almost overwhelmingly, evil happens, not, not because people are like, oh, let's be evil, um, but because they are pursuing the good things God wants for them. They're just pursuing them in the wrong ways. They are just doing a terrible and a selfish job of pursuing good things. I I want to feel secure in my life. So how do I do that? Well, maybe I take your land because it helps me to feel secure with more land, stuff like that. Um, Human history is composed of the human race wanting justice, these good things, just pursuing them in horrible ways. Now, there's, a, there's an influential uh, theologian that some of you all studied in a recent Sunday school class, N.T. Wright. And N.T. Wright talks about this almost universal desire for justice, for what is just, what is right, those three things that we mentioned earlier, safety, security, happiness, pleasure, and the ability to influence and to contribute positively. N.T. Wright uh, thinks about this, this universal desire for justice, and he says essentially three possibilities exist. And one possibility is that we're all just deceived, that there's no God, and if there's no God, there's really no way to, to claim anything as being right and wrong. So our inclination for there being justice for the right things happening is just all a big lie and we're all deceived. Okay, I think that's highly unlikely. 
um, this this inner desire for justice really does point to something. It points to that reality that there is what is just and what is good and desirable and that we should pursue it. And T. Wright says the second option is this. God is real and therefore right and wrong are real. And God does have a plan to deal with all of the injustices of the world. And that plan is one of withdrawal to just snatch his people to safety out of this evil world and, and to rescue them. That's how God handles the problem. That's a, a second possibility. God just wants to create heaven as an escape route and just get everyone out of the danger zone and get them on up to heaven, out of the evils of the world. And, you know, there's some appeal to that thought, right? This fight or flight uh, reaction that we often have when there's something dangerous, so let's just get out of here. The only problem is, that doesn't make sense with Genesis chapter 1, does it? With this good, beautiful world that God created and, and, and found to be very good. He's delighted with his creation. God doesn't plan on destroying the world or letting it go to hell in a handbasket. He's delighted with his creation. So there's a third option that N.T. Wright points to, and it's the final thing that God does that we're going to talk about today, and it's this. God is determined to right all injustices here in the world. If you want to get it a little bit of grasp of what is God's mission. It is this. It is to right all injustices here in the world, to right what is wrong in the world. Now, there's a lot that is a part of that. That is not a simple idea. And it includes you and me. It includes our, our salvation, our our walk with Jesus Christ, where we are saved through our faith in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. And that's one of, the, one of the ways that God sets to right all that is wrong in the world is by saving people. Um, but God does promise to take what is broken in this world and to fix it, to repair it, to make it right again. You know, one of the memorable lines in Genesis chapter 1 is, it is good, it is good, it is good. And it's, it's easy to start thinking of God as like the Inspector 12 of, you know, his creation. Remember Inspector 12? You have to go back several decades to remember Inspector 12 um, inspecting Haynes' underwear, right? And they don't say Haynes until I say they say Haynes. And, you know, this little stamping, it's good, it's quality. And sometimes we can think of God being like that with creation. Oh, it's good, puts his stamp of approval. But I, I think what is being described in Genesis chapter 1 is not God, oh, seal of, his, of approval, yes, this passes my inspection. But God just being delighted, oh, this is good, this is good, this is good.
And so when his creatures become disfigured because of our sin, God doesn't think, oh, easy come, easy go. I'm just going to start all over again. Uh, no, no, he, he's going to do something about it. He's going to make this world right. And this leads us to our third major thing, and that is, what do we do? Um, there's one more thing I want to note, us to notice from Genesis chapter 1, and that is its form. Because Genesis chapter 1 could appear much differently. It could appear as this nice little bullet-pointed list of things for us to know about God. Um, you know, bullet points. God created. Okay, it's good for us to know. Uh, God created good. You know, we just kind of write these, these important checklist items to believe from Genesis chapter 1. God is good. Uh, you know, take out your note sheet and fill in these blanks. But that's not how Genesis 1 appears as this, this nice little bullet-pointed list of things to believe about God and, and his creation, is it? Um, if you are familiar with Genesis 1, you know that there's this, this repetition that goes on in the chapter, that there are these days of creation. Um, there's, there is morning, there is evening the first day, and it gets repeated and repeated and repeating. And God saw that it was good. And, and what we see is that Genesis 1 is not just this, well, it's not at all this bullet-pointed list of attributes to believe, but it's, it's, it's itself is a work of art. It's a poem. Tim Keller likens it to a song. Now, why? Why is that? Why, why is it a poem? Why did God choose to do that? Why did he choose to give us a song? What happens when you hear a song? What happens when you hear a song that you like? Yeah, you, you, you sing along, right? You, you join in. Even if it's in your mind you're joining in. You're joining in. It's, it's pulling you in. It's connecting with your heart. You go to a concert, and you can, sure, you can do this at the concert, just kind of stand back and... Or you can get your money's worth and you can sing in and be pulled into the concert. Genesis 1 is in a poem, I believe, to inspire us. Because bullet-pointed lists, quite honestly, aren't necessarily all that inspiring. But this poem, this song, it's inspiring to us. God gives us something beautiful that you can rehearse in your mind. You can sing in your mind. Because what God does in Genesis chapter 1, it's not some one-off thing that he does. I mean, he continues to do this in your life. Just as God hovered protectively over the world, bringing order to chaos, he hovers protectively over your life, bringing order to your chaos. When things seem out of control... In your life, God, we can know that God is working on that. He's bringing about his plan. And just as God is committed to working right, to undoing what is wrong in the world, he's committed to doing that in your life. 
just as God saw that the world was good and just rejoiced over that, said, oh, this is good. He does that with your life. He looks at your life and he rejoices over you and he sings over you and said, oh, this is good. This is good. What do we do? One thing we do is we personalize Genesis chapter 1, this song, this poem that we've received, and you realize God does this in your life as well. Um, I've been driving my family crazy over the last few days uh, with a song that I've been singing lately. It's a Christmas song. Um, but it's actually a, like a, a Christmas choral piece that I sang in seminary choir. And so what my family is hearing is not even the main melody line. It's like the tenor part of this song. And it's not being sung very well, at, you know. At, at <laughs> um, it's not all that beautiful. But what is in my mind is very beautiful <laughs> as I'm singing along. I'm singing this tenor part. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful in my mind. Melissa, uh, just last night, asked me, why do you keep singing that? I can't get it out of my mind. This is a little bit like what we're supposed to do with Genesis chapter 1. Have it going on and her mind is being pulled into Genesis chapter 1. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, I'm just singing this tenor part. What am, what am I? Oh, I'm, I'm singing my part. And that's the other thing that we do with Genesis chapter 1. You figure out what is your part. Because in my mind, my one part is connected with the other parts, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, what is your part? Genesis chapter uh, 1, chapter verse 26 says... Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. And that word for rule is the word for dominion. In fact, the old King James Version uses that word in that verse, so that they may have dominion. Um, so one thing we do is we hold dominion like God does. That's, that's our part. Now, here's the problem. Unchecked, um, the way that we hold dominion is we dominate. Unchecked, like God left to our own devices, we, um, we will try to dominate in our dominion. So another thing that we need to do is we need to keep a steady gaze on how God holds dominion. This is how we make our dominion like right, like just, instead of unjust. If you look through the scriptures, um, that word for hold dominion, it's, it's, it's used positively and negatively. Here in Genesis chapter 1, it seems like a positive word, right? Hold dominion. We look at other scriptures and God's saying hold dominion, but, you know, don't do it ruthlessly, because we can do that. That is a possibility, and it has happened with human beings, as we have uh, held dominion in a very lousy way, in a very sinful and evil way, wicked way. 
And so we have to keep a steady gaze on how is God holding dominion. What we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to look at Jesus. And we're going to look in the Gospels. What, how, how does he, what does he do? How does he carry out this mission of God in, in exercising dominion and caring about God's mission, but he does it in the right way? So we're going to learn from Jesus. We're going to follow Jesus' lead. And a third thing, what we do, we remember God places us in community. Here's why this is important. Um, you know, think about Genesis chapter 1. Um, we see this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God was there. The, the Holy Spirit was there, hovering over the waters, ready to create something out of the chaos. We have, the, we have God, we have the Holy Spirit. Um, John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ, God's Son, was there in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So God is creating in this community of the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. And he creates this harmonious community of humans and life. And one thing that we learn from this is that as we exercise dominion, our dominion should always be understood in this context of community. In other words, dominion should be for the good of community and not for yourself. As I was looking through Genesis chapter 1, what do we do? Those three things came to mind. Hold dominion, but watch for how God holds dominion. And remember that the dominion that God gives us is always to prosper this harmonious community that God has given to us. And, um, and we're about to celebrate communion. And communion is a way for us to celebrate this community that God has given us. We, we don't just take communion by ourselves. It's not an individual thing. It's the family of God celebrating uh, the gift of God, Jesus Christ. He has come down. He's come down to be a part of our community to bless us, to give us what we need so that we can go about God's mission. Let's pray. Father, we just want to reflect a little bit on uh, those three questions from the very beginning, what, what is our mission? What is my mission? What have I made my life about? What, what do I pursue on a daily basis? What are the desires of my heart? And what is your mission? What are you doing, Lord? And is my mission in line with your mission? Father, we pray that we would be people that Pursue what is right in this world. Not just celebrate what is right, but 
actively try to bring it about in this human community, in other people's lives, in our neighbors' lives, um, even in the lives of those that we seem to be opposed to. As Jesus said, love your enemies, and we want what is right to come to them as well. We all have a part to play. Will you help us to start thinking through on a very deep level, what is my part? How, what, what can I do to bring about your purposes to this world? And Father, we thank you that you sent your Son as a sign of your love, to give us your grace, to bring us your salvation, to come down and enter our community here. Lord, may we be changed as we worship you and as we get ready to celebrate communion. In Jesus' name, amen.